You're listening to Ready to Real Estate, a TREB podcast. Hear stories, uncover insights, and tune into interviews on key issues that impact realtors and all of us. Join us as we discover how people, properties, and communities all come together to build the future of real estate. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Ready to Real Estate. I'm your host, Jason Mercer, TREB's Chief Market Analyst. The impacts of climate change can be measured in many ways, increases in global temperature, a moving northern tree line, and changes in meltwater. In real estate, we can observe climate change and disaster losses, which have doubled every five to 10 years since the 1950s. According to the Institute for Catastrophic Loss Reduction, in 2005, these losses approach 100 billion worldwide. If things don't change, insurers around the world will face a trillion dollars in damage claims over the next 15 years. So there's an additional financial imperative for homeowners to protect their equity by building properties that are more resilient to the effects of climate change, as well as reduce their houses' contributions to climate change through better energy efficiency. TREB advocates for sustainable home ownership at the individual development and governmental policy level to work towards a better future. I'm fortunate to have two guests joining me today to discuss the impact that climate change can have on real estate and how realtors and their clients can help circumvent climate change. One is Glenn McGilvery, the Managing Director of the Institute for Catastrophic Loss Reduction and an observer and industry expert member on TREB's Climate Risk Committee. We also have Craig Stewart with us, the Vice President of Federal Affairs for the Insurance Bureau of Canada. Welcome, Glenn and Craig. Thanks so much for joining me today. Thanks for having us. And I guess I wanted to start out today and, and maybe ask both of you in turn to, to clarify your definition of, of climate change and how this differs from concepts like global warming. And uh, maybe Craig, I'll start with you. So um, so climate, when we talk about climate change, uh, we're talking about uh, sort of the long-term trends, uh, you know, resulting fr- from uh, increased carbon emissions uh, into the atmosphere. In Canada, what this means is that uh, it's not necessarily uh, consistent warming everywhere, which is why we've moved away from the concept or the, the terminology of global warming. Um, when we talk about climate change, it's about um, dealing with the regional differences uh, that uh, that increased, uh, you know, greenhouse gas emission uh, is causing. So an example is, um, you know, what we get concerned about in Canada is upper atmosphere warming. Uh, so. So as the air in the upper atmosphere uh, in Canada uh, warms, uh, you know, from year to year to year, um, what uh, what happens is we begin to, you know, that that warmer air can hold more moisture. Uh, it can slow down the, the jet stream um, and you can en- end up having sort of these pregnant masses of, of, of water in the atmosphere that can inundate uh, any area, uh, you know, for a long period of time, just in a stationary way. Uh, thereby causing flooding. So that's an example of a direct effect that we're already witnessing. Certainly we witnessed it uh, last fall in, in British Columbia. Um, but that's different. We're, whereas what the, the, the modeling projections hold for Canada for, for climate change uh, in, the, in Eastern Canada with you know, uh, more potential for more freezing rain and ice storms, um, more winter precipitation, that's different than what the modeling holds for, uh, for Western Canada, where we're expecting more heat events and wildfires. Uh, so it's it's more nuanced than simply saying global warming. It's about uh, you know the intricacies of how a changing climate are going to affect the country uh, differently uh, from coast to coast to coast. 
Yeah, it makes a lot of sense. I mean, not unlike the real estate market itself, which, you know, certainly there isn't one market in Canada for, uh, for, for homes and it makes sense then that the the impacts are are regional nature and as well and, and, and Glenn I'm sure you have something to add in that regard as well sure I, I mean I think a lot of people use the two terms interchangeably and, and that's fine um, but as I think Craig alluded uh, climate change is looking at the much bigger picture okay uh, it's it's more it's more than just about warming and just about warming the atmosphere there are impacts on on many things uh, ecologies uh, wildlife uh, people, uh, it, it impacts uh, all different types of hazards. And it's not just about warming the atmosphere. It's all these knock-on effects and other effects as well. So um, it, it just, by using that term climate change, you're looking at a much big, bigger picture. No, that makes sense. And I guess what I want to do now is sort of drill down to, you know, the the the, the topic of this podcast on a on sort of a, a regular basis. And, and that's sort of thinking about the housing market and how the interplay with, uh, you know, other, other sectors of the economy and, and certainly the, the environment as well. And, and, you know, for Canadians, home equity forms a, a significant part of their wealth, uh, meaning that your, your home is at risk of high climate change and, and related disasters and financial security is as well. And, and so what are some of the ways that, that climate change threatens real estate and particularly residential real estate in particular, uh, maybe Glenn, I'll start with you on this one. Yeah, I think two things come uh, to mind right off the top. On, on the one hand, you can have damage to your home due to severe weather and other impacts. And the second part of it is, is the value of that home. And so there's been, of course, tons of research on both of those areas. Uh, on the first, we're seeing uh, increasing damage to homes just about every year in Canada. We continue to break insurance records uh, due to severe weather and, and wildfire and other impacts as well. Um, it runs the gamut. Uh, we talk a lot about uh, flood, of course, we have for years. Uh, as we were talking about that, uh, the fire problem kind of creeped up on us, particularly out west. But we're seeing other things as well. And uh, the models are projecting, uh, you know, uh, more severe wind, uh, possibly more on the hail side, uh, more on the fire side, uh, snow, uh, snow and ice storms, uh, a whole bunch of things. And we're getting to a point in Canada where um, it's just very difficult to plan. It's difficult for governments to plan. It's difficult for uh, insurers to plan because of the um, just the uh, erratic nature of the weather now. And so when a, a year starts off, we don't know, is this going to be a billion dollar storm year? Is it going to be a $4 billion year? Is it going to be a $5 billion year? We just don't know anymore. And uh, it's, it's really making things challenging for folks. On the second side of things is the uh, the impact on the value of real estate, particularly uh, places that are in high risk uh, flood zones or on coasts and things of that nature. There's been a great deal of, of work in this area, which indicates that uh, the value of homes can be uh, uh, driven down at least on a temporary basis after a flood. Right. Uh, and th that's the secondary part of this whole thing that we have to think about. Uh, so the impacts are kind of varied but they're quite serious and they're very serious for a homeowner. And, you know, homeowners, they're looking at their largest investment, probably they'll ever make in their life. And that investment is being uh, put at risk and uh, their health and safety is being put at risk as well. And Craig, what are your thoughts on sort of the broad impacts before we drill down a little bit? So let me uh, pick up right where Glenn left off. So insurers look at um, most climate events still as accidents. Uh, we can't predict where tornadoes will occur. We can't predict where wildfires will strike. Um, and so for most events, uh, the, even though they're worsening, 
they're still covered by all perils policies, uh, you know, insurance policies. So most homeowners are still um, insured against them. And what that means is that the home, your home equity is protected in that case. Uh, you should always take a look at the coverage limits in your policy to make sure, especially in this hot market that we're in now, right. that you're going to be able to rebuild your home uh, with what you would get from your insurer. Make sure that you look at the policy, make sure you got to have the right coverage limits. But, um, but, but you should be protected. And if, if you're going to get a payout from your insurer, uh, you know, you're protected. And frankly, your mortgage lender is protected uh, because, because of that. However, there is one class of events which are not accidents and they're predictable, and those are floods. Uh, if you're living in a high-risk area, we can map those high-risk areas. We know uh, which homeowners are living in areas that are predictably going to flood given these escalating climate events, um, and, uh, and it can be difficult to get insurance. And if you can't get insurance, you're exposed. You are no longer protected. Or even if you can get insurance and the coverage limit says you're only going to get a $10,000 payout after a major flood, well, then you're going to be out of pocket. Um, and that's where your home equity is exposed. This is why uh, we are working very closely with the federal government to develop a high-risk flood insurance public-private partnership program which will mean every homeowner, no matter where they live in the country, will have access to affordable flood insurance. That will, if, if the government launches it as promised within the next two years, that means that uh, homeowners will have the opportunity to protect themselves through, through flood insurance. I think that's a really good segue too. And, uh, you know, I mean, both of you have mentioned flooding and the major problems it presents. And, and we've certainly seen the impact of that uh, in the GTA and even broader Greater Golden Horseshoe over the past uh, decade, um, especially in the spring when the snow melts and we start to get more rain. And even as we get those sort of big rainstorms as we move through the summer um, as well. And in fact, the, the, the Intact Center on Climate Adaptation just released a report called Treading Water, the impact of catastrophic flooding on, on Canada's housing market. And I, I'm wondering if we can, you know, maybe drill down a little bit deeper. I mean, you talked about Craig sort of mapping um, flood zones. And so, you know, some people just wouldn't be able to, to, to get insurance or their insurance would be perhaps much more than the, the average to sort of cover off that, that risk. But I'm wondering if we can talk maybe uh, uh, more broadly, just about you know, preventing damage for flood, regardless of where uh, um, your, your house may be located and, and, and how homeowners can protect themselves, um, you know, and rather than having to experience the damage associated with the flood. And so maybe I'll, I'll turn back to you, Craig, and then we can go to Glenn. So this is, this is uh, Glenn's uh, center of expertise right here. So I'm gonna defer to him. Sure. But what, what, I will, what I will speak to is, um, insurers are beginning to reward homeowners uh, for taking uh, action to protect themselves from flood. Uh, this is really important. We need to we start sending the right incentives uh, to both communities and homeowners uh, that if you're going to take measures to protect yourselves, you're going to be rewarded. So some insurers have started doing this and we would encourage that, uh, you know, if you take the measures that Glenn's going to go into, if you take, if you take these measures, uh, that uh, that you shop around uh, to make sure that you're you're getting uh, the price reduction uh, appropriate for that. Um, uh, we're going to see more of this. Uh, there are conversations, active conversations underway with CMHC banks and others around how can we do more to incent people to protect themselves, in particular from flooding. How can you reward them? What we, we would like to see is to see banks step in and say we're going to reward you with lower uh, lending rates, for instance, if you're if you're lower risk. Uh, you know, we're not there yet, but, uh, but there's a lot that we can be doing in the financial sector to be encouraging that sort of change. 
All right. So I'll try to work plan. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that, that's a really interesting point. So, I mean, Glenn, what, what can people do to lower their insurance costs and maybe in their, the future lowering their, their borrowing costs as well? Yeah, so I think, first of all, it's really important to, to understand that there are different types of flooding. And so we, we often think about overland flooding. We think about flooding that's related to some sort of body of water. And as a result of that, we get Canadians saying, oh, I don't live near a body of water, I'm fine. But if you look at some of the costliest floods that we've had in recent years, it has nothing to do with a body of water and has everything to do with really heavy rainfall, a lot of rainfall in an area in a short period of time. We see it in, in Toronto in, in 2013, a billion dollar flood. We saw it in Burlington, Ontario in 2014, several times in Hamilton, uh, a couple of times in Windsor uh, in, in almost exactly a year. Uh, Sydney, Nova Scotia. I mean, we see it all over the place. And so that's one of the things that we were trying to get people to understand is that you don't have to live near a body of water. The second thing is, uh, it seems to me that every Canadian seems to live up on a hill because when you talk to them about flood insurance, they say, oh, I'm okay, I live on a hill. So every Canadian lives on a hill, apparently, which is quite interesting to note. Um, when it comes to that type of flooding, the heavy rainfall related flooding, there's a lot of actions that a homeowner can take to prevent uh, a problem. Uh, you could look at a sump pump system, for example. So if you don't have one, uh, you may consider getting one in. So that would, would uh, involve severing the foundation drain of the home and directing it to a sump pit, putting in a sump pump. Uh, all important is to have a backup pump plumbed in there and backup power supply, like a, like a deep cycle marine battery. You can get those kits at Home Depot or Canadian Tire or whatever. And uh, just learn how to test that thing and make sure that it works on a regular basis. Um, a lot of people are putting in backwater valves in many municipalities and sent backwater valves. They'll give you a thousand or 1500 or even 2000 or more to put in a backwater valve uh, to prevent sewage from surcharging in your basement. Also though, very important to understand how to maintain them. They have to be cleaned on a very regular basis. Uh, landscaping your property to get that water away from the property. In fact, anything that you can do to get water away from your property is, is the name of the game here. So that includes uh, severing your downspouts, getting that water about a meter and a half away from the property, if you can do that without affecting your neighbor, uh, making sure your eaves troughs are in good uh, working order, making sure the sewer lateral in front of your house under your lawn, which you own, by the way, uh, is clear and free of, of any types of uh, fat oils or grease, cooking grease or uh, um, roots from trees. There's a whole range of things you can do. And actually, if you go to uh, iclr.org, you can find a lot of information on this, uh, this area. Overland flood's trickier. Um, it's quite difficult for a homeowner to, to deal with kind of a riverine flood type of situation or that type of situation. Sometimes you need experts in there. It's a good idea maybe to get in an engineer if you have a recurring overland flood and take a look at that problem. And one of the things you cannot do is fix your problem and make it worse for your neighbors. And so that's one of the challenges that, that you have there. I think it's a really good point you make too around, you know, you, you, you put in the, uh, the infrastructure or equipment to, to help guard against flood and then maybe forget about it for a few years, you know, especially if you're, you know, in a location or, or a home that doesn't experience, um, you know, water seepage on a, on a regular basis. And then if you're not testing it, uh, when, when, it, when a big rainfall does come and it would have, you know, helped you out, uh, it, it fails. So I think that's a really important point is to have sort of a, a testing regime, you know, once or twice a year to make sure, you know, that stuff that you paid money to, to put in took advantage of the incentives is, is, is still actually uh, working for you. So I think that's a, that's a really good point. And so we've, we've talked about flooding in, in, in quite a bit of detail, um, but, you know, earlier on in, in, in this episode, uh, both of you 
also mentioned other climate events that can be damaging to homes. And, and we often hear about wind damage as well. And we've heard about, you know, tornadoes and, and strong winds and, and damage to, to, to roofs and other, uh, uh, you know, aspects of, of, of someone's property. And so uh, my, my sense is that wind damage is becoming an increasing concern. And are there ways to, to mitigate wind and, and related issues? So uh, maybe back to Craig and then, then to Glenn. So, uh, you know, living where I do uh, in the Ottawa area, uh, you know, we're now very familiar uh, with how destructive wind events could be. We had six tornadoes, uh, one of which was an F3 uh, strike, uh, strike here a couple of years ago, strike the nation's capital. Uh, and it was remarkable. I, I toured the damage the, um, the next day. And uh, it was unbelievable, the, the, the strength, the force of the winds. And what was evident, was roofing joists were the were the key problem. So if you think it's it's you know it, it, the real issue is if you're outside uh, when that strikes, there's so much flying debris. That's where the danger is. And we had one fatality uh, due to flying debris, but those roofing joists were pile driven into adjacent homes. So you literally had them sticking out of buildings. Uh, you know, uh, in uh, in the area where that F3, uh, you know, you had, you had certain homes that were just leveled and gone uh, where it first touched down near Dunrobin. But then the Gatineau area, uh, it we, literally you had roofing joists sticking up from buildings all over the place. So number one thing uh, for wind events is keeping your roof attached to the rest of the house. That's the, that's the number one thing. Um, you know, the, the, there are unpredictable events and you're insured for them. So wind events are not likely to uh, affect your home equity uh, because you'll be insured. Uh, but uh, but there will be costs such as debris cleanup afterwards that may not be covered by your insurance. Uh, you should examine your policy. These are the sorts of things that you need to be aware of. But but again, Glenn's the expert on uh, on what you can do to better protect your home. Uh, so I'll, I'll uh, defer to him. Right. Yeah, you know, Craig is, is quite right. Uh, it all starts with the roof in many cases. And, um, you know, if you're doing a major renovation on your home or if you're building a new home, uh, we really advocate that you put in measures to keep the roof on uh, in an even stronger way than the building code requires. And that can include the, the use of, of hurricane straps. It can include other uh, uh, ways of doing things as well. But uh, we're really big on going a little bit beyond the code and making sure that you keep a roof on. Um, these simple measures like using a hurricane strap can keep a roof on in, in the majority of tornadoes that we uh, experience here in Canada. Uh, one of the things that a typical homeowner can do is just watch the, um, you know, when, when there's a, a forecast of, of extreme winds coming up, um, get some of that stuff around the house put away, your patio furniture, get that either put away or secured down. Uh, it's amazing what uh, a, 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 you know, a patio chair or a table can do uh, in terms of uh, being lethal debris or uh, for damaging other property and things of that nature. Um, yeah, I mean, there's there's a whole range of things that you can do. If you can go to icelr.org, we have uh, booklets on each of these hazard areas, and you can uh, you can learn of some of the the measures that you can take to um, to make yourself safe. Uh, if you're re-roofing your home, there are several measures that you can do to uh, to to put that roof on better, and uh, all importantly, to keep water from from seeping in um, should you have some uh, shingle damage and things of that nature. But uh, there's a whole range of things that can be done if you go to iclr.org. 
And what about things like, uh, you know, we, we talked about, you know, flooding, we talked about uh, winds, but, you know, it, it, when we first started talking today as well, I mean, obviously, you know, different parts of the country experience different um, issues. And, and even in a, a region like Southern Ontario, um, there, there, there's areas that will experience, you know, different types of, uh, uh, of natural hazards and issues. So I'm, you know, I'm thinking oftentimes when we think about the, the, the GTA, we forget, you know, a lot of TREB members are certainly working with clients um, outside of that sort of, uh, uh, um, you know, regional core and, and thinking about, you know, exurban and rural and, and, and cottage areas in Ontario as well that might be more uh, or more commonly experience things like like hail or even uh, or even fires and, and and what have you. So maybe Glenn, like you mentioned, you have um, on your website, you know, uh, uh, you're speaking about ways to sort of mitigate damage from 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 other natural events like that. So maybe I'll I'll keep with you for the moment and just sort of like maybe we could talk about like hail damage and even fire damage or or or, or additional uh, issues you may be seen more commonly, uh, especially in areas outside of the core. Certainly. Um, you know, I think historically we've had some big hailstorms in Ontario. It's not that huge an issue in this part of the, of, of the country. And uh, we don't get too, too concerned about it uh, at ICLR. Fire is a big problem, uh, on the other hand. And, and so, first of all, you don't have to go that far outside of the GTA and you're into fire country. Uh, and there's a lot of people in the GTA that own cottages that are right in the middle of, of it all. And wildfire is not just a Western problem. That's a, that's a big misconception that it's mostly a BC and Alberta issue. We've had a lot of historic fires in, in, uh, in Ontario over the years, really big ones as a matter of fact. And there are measure, many uh, measures that can be taken to protect a property against wildfire. And so what we do at ICLR is we point to FireSmart as, as the premier uh, fire prevention, wildfire prevention program in the country. And it's all about just managing that fuel immediately around the, the property. So when a, a fire is in the forest, the wood, the, uh, the forest is the fuel. But when fire gets into a community, that fuel changes. It becomes structures and other things of that nature. And uh, it's not that difficult to do to just manage that fuel around the property. It could be as simple as moving a wood, um, a wood shed or a wood pile, or if you have surplus building materials around the home, doing that, paring back trees, um, cleaning up forest litter on a regular basis, you know, uh, pine needles and things of that nature. Just keeping that that um, that fuel source away from the immediate uh, circumference of the home, and uh, we see homes lost on a regular basis because people fail to do that, and we see homes saved on a regular basis because people actively manage that fuel around the property. So wildfire is a big issue. We all know people that have cottages in that in high risk areas. Everybody knows somebody, and so it's it's really important. It's you know you might. Kind of brush it off and say oh fire in toronto is not an issue and that's that's quite true wildfire in toronto is not but you don't have to go that very that far out and you're you're in the fire country in a big way i think that's a really good point i mean you know we we know that you know uh second home purchases have have been on the rise over time and i think a lot of that's just demographics people are getting into their cottage buying years and they purchase a home outside of the the, the the GTA and you got to be um, you know doubly cognizant of of especially you know fuel sources around the 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 home because you're not there every day 
Um, and, and so you really want to make sure that, uh, you know, when you leave for the weekend and maybe aren't coming back for a week or two, that, uh, that, that things are right and, and, uh, and you're reducing the, uh, the risk of fire damage. And, and Craig, maybe to that point, I mean, just sort of thinking about, you know, the, the climate change aspect and, and, and how that may have sort of shifted the, the, the risk in terms of, of, of fires and, and other events like that. Maybe you can speak to that a little bit in terms of how that's changed over time and, and what you can foresee for the future as well. Uh, well, I'll actually talk about two dynamics. One, the first is that um, you have a, a lot of clients, TREB clients, who are now uh, moving outside of the GTA based upon, you know, post-pandemic dynamics. So sure. people are now remote working. Uh, it's not just cottages. I guess they're, they're living and, and, and uh, telecommuting or working remotely from homes in areas that they may not be necessarily familiar with. So they're in new, new areas. Um, yeah. Uh, and so we, we would stress uh, to know your risk, you know, you're in an unfamiliar landscape, you're in a new area, make sure that you know, uh, you know what you may be exposed to uh, in your new in your new home uh, in that new area. Uh, and then the other the other risks, what else we're seeing besides wildfire in southern Ontario, there's there's uh, there's, I guess, um, two additional uh, items I would add. One is winter flooding uh, due to ice jamming and that's becoming an increased problem as as we have milder winters, uh, you're getting these freeze-thaw cycles in the middle of winter. You're getting strong winter precipitation events where you're getting heavy rains. Um, you're getting rivers being choked up by ice, and they're very unpredictable, difficult to model. And, uh, and so areas are flooding in the middle of winter that we haven't seen flood before. Uh, so, uh, so that's one to look out for. The second is ice storms. Um, we will see an increased uh, number of ice storms. Uh, which, uh, which means uh, really that, you know, it's, it's our electrical transmission grid that that's tends to get affected by those uh, the most, which means that um, you should be thinking about backup power supply, backup generators, uh, you know, especially if you're working remotely and you want to make sure that you're going to continue to be connected um, uh, to the degree possible, as long as your internet's still on, um, you, uh, you, uh, you, you should be prepared for, for those sorts of uh, events as well, uh, because we're likely to see more of them. Yeah, I think that's a really good point. I mean, I hadn't thought of the, the backup power aspect, but, you know, more and more, I mean, you know, I was in Toronto for the, for the, for the blackout and, and, the, and the ice storm. And, uh, you know, I, I think that's a really good point as, as people's, uh, um, they're, they're looking more towards a hybrid work environment um, and, and perhaps outside of the, the, uh, the core areas of the GTA, that's, uh, that's a very important point to, to think about. And, you know, I, I think broadly, there, there are a lot of issues associated with climate change that, that can impact our, our region's housing stock. And, and both of you, I want to thank you for, for being on the show today and, and sharing not only why it's imperative uh, that we in the real estate community understand the impacts of climate change on the on the built environment, but also uh, some actual ways that we can mitigate these impacts. So Glenn McGilvery, Craig Stewart, I want to thank you again for, for being on the show. I, I know all of our listeners will benefit greatly from what you had to say today. So thank you very much. Thanks for the invitation, Jason. Thank you. And thanks to all of you for listening in. Uh, don't miss an episode. Subscribe to Trev's Ready to Real Estate podcast on Apple, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks to all of you for joining us, and we'll see you next time. That's it for us. Be sure to subscribe to our podcast on Apple, Spotify, Google, or wherever you get your podcasts. Also, don't forget to follow us on social media and visit our website, Trev.ca. That's T-R-R-E-B dot C-A to find market insights and more. 
This has been another episode of Ready to Real Estate, and thanks for tuning in. Mm-hmm.